0: The Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland Book 1. Plan B Revised Chapter 4. A Ride to the O.K. Corral Even catching a metaphorical fish felt great. Martin thanked them over and over as he hefted Susan's roller bag on top of the tangle of bent metal studs in the bed. He helped her onto the passenger side running board "'then climbed up in front of her, beside the open window. "'We really appreciate this. Uh, "'I'm Martin, by the way. "'This is Susan.' Eh, hey, no problem,' said the driver. "'I'm Leo, Leo Walsh. "'This here's my brother, David. Yeah, "'The Bridge Street Boys,' David added, with a wide grin. "'Leo smiled and nodded, too. "'David said it as though Martin should have heard of them, "'but he hadn't. "'Martin smiled and nodded as if he was impressed. "'So, Martin?' If things clear up and traffic speeds up, you're going to have to drop you two off, Leo said. Oh, that's okay. Any progress without walking is a gift. We're only going up as far as that Hyatt, and hey, is that news on your radio? Could you could you turn it up? What do they say about all of this? man? Nah, not too much, said Leo, as he fussed with the radio. Had it on for over two hours, but they keep repeating the same five minutes worth of info. Stuff like... Power grids down all over. Phones don't work. And some pregnant lady had a baby on a train. Airplanes ain't fallen from the skies, but all flights are canceled. Emergency this, emergency that. There's supposed to be a statement by the governor any minute now, for over an hour. Hey, hey, turn it up, Leo, said David. This might be him. Has been in close contact with state and local officials. That's not the governor, said David. That's just some guy. Leo shushed him. Reports of widespread failures in the power grid. Everybody knows that, Einstein. Leo shushed David again. Crews are working to restore power as soon as possible. Residents are being advised to remain calm and stay wherever they are. Stay stuck on 93, David quipped. Leo backhanded David on the shoulder. The governor's office is working to get essential services restored as quickly as possible. We are asking the people of the greater Boston area to stay off the streets so emergency personnel can do their jobs. In the event that this outage lasts into the night, residents should secure flashlights and blankets, avoid the use of candles or open flames. The governor will be meeting with federal authorities this evening to map out... Leo shut the radio off. That was a total waste of time. They don't know nothing. Oh, yeah, but now it's official, David said, deadpan. "'Did they say what caused it?' Martin asked. "'Nah, they keep talking, but they don't know,' said Leo. "'They had some guy on there talking about solar storms, "'but he said how a solar storm is supposed to wipe out computers "'and cars should stop dead. "'He couldn't explain why the cars and computers and phones are still working. "'Another one said it was caused by greedy power companies skimping on maintenance. "'And then there was this other guy,' David chimed in. He said it was like right-wing militia extremists trying to start a revolution or something. Bah, scoffed Leo. That was NPR. They think anything they don't like is on account of right-wing extremists. Martin leaned in a bit more. I heard reports that a lot of other cities were down too. D.C., New York, Philly. Yeah, we heard that too. This is the big one, all right. This ain't getting fixed any time fast. Won't get fixed? Susan asked. She gave Martin a worried glance. She must be thinking about her test. Uh, why not? Martin asked Leo. Leo gestured with both hands, like a professor giving a lecture, steering with his knee. The way I see it, whenever there's been a storm or something, like the last big ice storm we had, power was out for what, half the state, right? What did they do? They called in crews from other states like Pennsylvania and New York. They weren't hit, so they could help out. Some of our crews would go down and help out with, like, Katrina and Sandy and stuff. The extra help came from the unaffected areas, you see. Uh, uh uh-huh, Martin agreed to keep Leo's point moving along. So, from what they're saying on the radio, there ain't no unaffected areas. There won't be fleets of other crews coming in to help us. They'll all be busy working on their own problems. That means we only got whatever crews we got here already. Last big storm, it took them a week to get the power back on. Right, Davy? Oh, yeah. Graham's house was out for five days. And that was with all of those out-of-state crews helping, continued Leo. You can bet it's going to take way longer if all we got is just our PSNH guys to get New Hampshire's lights back on. Yep, yep, this is going to be a long one, nodded Davy. Looking at a few weeks without power at a minimum. Uh, "'Weeks? Uh, I don't have enough money to stay in a hotel for weeks,' Susan said. "'Yeah, well, money might not be your problem, missy,' Leo pointed ahead. "'That's your hotel up there, ain't it? Uh, Hyatt.' The others followed his gaze. "'Looks like smoke coming out from a couple of places.' "'Oh, no, not again,' moaned Susan. Martin swung his backpack around and fished out his little binoculars. Uh, "'You carry binoculars?' Leo asked. Martin bought them for his walk-home plan, but did not want to invite yet more ridicule. Taking a cue from David's hat, Martin said, Um, Red Sox games? He had never actually been to Fenway, so felt uneasy with his little white lie. He mollified his conscience with the notion that he could use them at Fenway if he ever did go see a game. To his relief, Leo seemed satisfied. I don't think fire is the real problem, said Martin there's only a little smoke. The problem is water. I see people sweeping water out of the sliding doors on that upper floor. It's running down the walls from the sides of the balconies. There's some people wringing out towels over the railings. Up top, there's a couple hanging wet bedding over the railing. I think a sprinkler system must have gone off or something. Let me see that, said David, reaching for the monoculars. Oh, man, those people look like wet dogs.' everything inside must be soaked. Good news is, the fire's out. Bad news is, uh, the tide is in. Susan asked for the binoculars. She studied the stricken hotel a long time, as if looking for some hopeful sign, but found none. Her glance at Martin with tragic eyes said, now what? Okay, well, apparently the Hyatt is out, Martin tried to sound as if it was no big deal. "'You guys think we could keep riding on up to Woburn? "'There's a Comfort Inn right beside 93 up there.' "'I suppose so,' said Leo. "'Same deal goes with the traffic, though. "'If it speeds up, you two are getting off. "'But at this pace, it's going to be getting pretty dark "'by the time we get up to Woburn.' Martin leaned back and spoke to Susan. "'Maybe the farther out we get from the city, "'the fewer refugees there'll be. "'Better chances of finding you a room.' "'But I I still can't afford to stay in a hotel for weeks. "'I've only got a few hundred in my checking account. "'They said the Holiday Inn was—they were only taking cash. "'What if this other hotel only takes cash? "'I've only got a little bit of cash on me.' "'Martin scratched his head with his free hand. "'Yeah, I can help you out a little, but, yeah, that could be a problem. "'On the plus side, though, I bet you won't be the only one short of cash. "'Hotels will be full of people who got caught with nothing but plastic.' who carries cash anymore, right? I can't see him kicking out everybody that doesn't have the cash. That would be, well, just about everybody. I bet they'll make some sort of deal. That's not a very reassuring plan, Susan frowned. I know, but let's cross that bridge when we get to it. First thing is to get you a room, then work on options. Traffic crept along. Sometimes it got up to a jogging speed. Other times it was dead stop. Martin felt impatient as the afternoon faded into early evening. He had to admit that their pace was a bit faster than walking. It was easier on the feet, too. The sun had gone down behind the suburban skyline. The top halves of the trees on the right side of the highway were still radiant in their reds and yellows with the last of the setting sun. Their progress was a little steadier. Martin started to think they might make Woburn before it got totally dark. Susan would have her hotel, but where would he sleep? All he could remember of Woburn was the dense old suburbs and industrial parks. Perhaps he would have to try hitchhiking in the dark. that seemed like a dismal prospect, if not outright dangerous. As they crested a small rise in Stoneham, traffic slowed to a stop. "'Hey, Martin,' Leo called. "'Use your Fenway glasses and tell me what's up ahead. If it's a breakdown lane or something, which side is best for getting around it?' "'Uh, sure.' Martin stood up taller and looked. He saw movement. His angle was not the best for a clear view. "'I uh, i see some people walking uh, in between the lanes,' Martin continued. Uh, "'Kinda like those panhandlers that walk between the cars at stoplights begging for change.' "'Yeah, maybe somebody ran out of gas and they want to borrow money,' offered David. "'Why would they do that, you dummy?' countered Leo. "'It's not like there's a gas station on 93. What are they going to do with the money?' "'But why are they—' "'Oh, hey,' Martin stood a little taller yet to see even better. "'Some guy got out of his car. he "'He's running this way. What, "'One of the panhandlers is chasing him. "'He just left his car?' "'Ow, smacked him down. Hey, "'What was that all about? "'Road rage or something,' David suggested. "'Maybe, but the people in the cars are giving stuff to the walking guys. "'Looks like bags and purses, maybe. Uh, "'Hold on. Oh, "'Uh-oh.' Martin could see that the two men were brandishing pistols at the people in the cars. He was momentarily taken aback at witnessing a crime in progress. It had taken most of the day for the populace to absorb the new reality. Police departments were overwhelmed with the chaotic flood of bewildered civilians. Reaching 911 was iffy at best. Even if successful, any dispatched units would be mired in gridlock. Quick-thinking criminals connected the dots and improvised some bold schemes, which, in normal times, would have been ridiculous. Both those walker guys have guns. Guns? Susan's eyes got wide. What kind of guns? Come on. What kind of guns? demanded Leo. "Uh, Pistols. Yeah, uh, they're robbing people in the stalled traffic between these two rock cliffs. There's no place to go. They're going down the line from car to car. Yeah, but what kind of guns? Leo demanded again. I don't know. Martin was not so much into guns as to recognize the subtle differences. Uh, I can't tell from here. David, get them glasses. I want to know what they got. Martin stepped down so David could open his door and step up on the sill. He stood tall and studied the scene ahead for a few seconds. Uh, a couple of pocket guns, Leo. One's a kel for sure. The other guy's got, uh, hold on, a Beretta. Yeah, Both. they both look like nine mil what difference does it make what kind of guns they have susan said in a hint of panic what do we do not to worry miss said david the bridge street boys got guns too leo reached under his seat and pulled out a well-worn traditional 1911 david pulled a newer glock from under the dash from a tool bucket behind the center armrest david pulled out two magazines he snicked one into the grip of his pistol leo fished out a handful of magazines from a box "'and snapped one in, too. "'If them punks wants trouble,' began Leo, "'we won't want to disappoint them,' finished David. "'He pulled a little nylon bag from under the dash. "'He handed Leo several more loaded magazines for the colt "'and a box of rounds. "'He put several other magazines into his own shirt pockets. "'Susan stared in shock, "'as if they were putting rattlesnakes in their pockets.' "'Uh, listen, guys, uh, maybe we ought to be somewhere else while you're taking care of business. I think I'd better get Susan out of the hot zone.' "'Damn straight there, Skippy,' said Leo menacingly. "'Get the womenfolk to safety,' he racked his slide. "'We got us some justice to deliver. Safety's off, Davy boy. This is not a drill.' Martin did not have much of an inner Rambo nature but his inner John Wayne scowled at him for running away from a fight. His rational side reminded him that he had no weapon. He would be more of a hindrance than a help, a human sandbag at best. He also felt that his good Samaritan duty was to get Susan to safety. Martin hefted Susan's bundle out of the back of the truck. She still looked stunned that she had been so close to two actual loaded guns and lived. Martin headed for the guardrail. Susan, come on, come on, this way. He returned to pull her by the arm. "'Leo and David, they have guns. Those guys down there, they have guns. Oh, God, somebody's going to get hurt.' "'Well, maybe,' said Martin, "'but let's make sure one of them isn't us. We need to put some distance between us and them.' "'Where are we going?' Susan hesitated. "'Hopefully around the trouble.' "'Oh, perfect. Look at there. A gap in the chain-link fence. Come on, duck under here.' He pointed to the small lake on the other side of the fence. This here is Spot Pond. That hill to the left is the backside of that rock cliff on 93. See? This is a little peninsula sticking out into the reservoir. We walk around it, and we come back up along 93 on the other side. Why would we want to do that? There's there's people out there with guns. We'd come back up to 93 beyond them. The thieves were in the middle of the cliffs, remember? Ideally, we'll come back up on the highway, well past them. We'll see if we can catch a different ride and get out of here. The bluff should give us cover if there's any shooting. Oh, shooting? Oh, God. Susan looked over her shoulder nervously. Try not to think about it. We'll just go through these woods here as quickly as we can. Hmm. Your roller bag isn't going to be easy through this brush. I'll carry the wheel's end. You carry the handle. Follow behind me. If I drop down low, you drop down too, okay? I don't like this. I've never been anywhere near a shooting. I I hear about them on the news, but I never thought... Oh, I don't even like to see those things on TV. That's okay. Being scared is normal. But the idea here is to keep moving away from the trouble. Get it all behind us, okay? Okay? Her tone was doubtful. Her eyes were still wide. When they were halfway around the peninsula, Martin said over his shoulder, I know I'm going kind of fast... But I'm hoping to get back to ninety three before-pop, pop! Susan yelped a little scream. Martin spun around, wondering if she'd been hit by a stray bullet. She did not appear hit, but stood stiff and tall, eyes staring up the hill. Martin squatted down and tugged at her coat to pull her down. He tilted his head to get a better bearing on the sounds. Susan dropped to her knees, eyes darting around like a trapped animal. Martin could hear shouting and banging. Were they muffled shots? car doors? Fender-on-fender impact? It was hard to tell. We're okay, Martin whispered. We've got the high ground between us and them, he tried to sound reassuring, even if he was not entirely convinced himself. Pop, pop, pop! Susan yelped another little scream. Okay, I know you're scared, but you really can't keep doing that. I can't help it. Well, try to help it. Screaming only calls attention to yourself. Pow! Susan squeaked with her hand clamped over her mouth. Martin squatted down a little lower. That last one sounded bigger than the 9 mil. Maybe it was Leo's forty-five. We better find some cover. See those big rocks up ahead there? Susan nodded with her hand still over her mouth. Stay low and follow me. Pop, pop, pop. Bam, pop, pop. Susan squeaked again but made apology with her eyes. They stopped and leaned their backs against the boulders. "'Geez, it's like the O.K. Corral down there,' Martin thought. "'I want to go up ahead and see if it's clear. "'You stay behind these rocks. It's a safe place.' "'What? You're going out there? People are shooting! They're shooting guns!' Martin felt the urge to say something snide about pointing out the obvious, but he could see that she was sincere and was still grappling with a reality she never expected to have to deal with. "'I'll be careful and stay out of sight. Just remember, no screaming.' He ran as best he could, hunched as low as he could, and still run. From one tree trunk to the next, he worked his way down nearer to the shore and away from the rocky ridge. He could still faintly hear people shouting. A woman was screaming, not hysterically, but more like she was giving orders. There were still the occasional pops. They could have been shots, or maybe just slamming car doors. The rocky canyon reverberated the sounds, making them less clear. Martin worked his way around to the shore where he could see the guardrail and the motionless cars up on 93. Pop! Pow! Oh, sounds like Leo is still in it. Martin moved in closer, one tree at a time, eyes scanning to detect any movement in the woods. The shore curved close to the embankment of 93 with precious little brush for concealment. Was the way clear? It was not. Through the gaps in the brush and trees, Martin could see one of the robbers. He sat awkwardly, huddled behind the jagged end of a damaged guardrail. The robber peered over the rail in nervous little one-eyed peeks. Pop, pop, he fired back down the highway, periscope style. The guardrail clanged loudly from a bullet strike. "Hmm, Must be Leo or David has him pinned down. Martin could almost pity the man. Almost. Almost an unseen motorcycle suddenly roared to life far to the right and buzzed up the off-ramp. Martin heard it whine off into the distance. He could hear Leo's voice shouting. The thief behind the guardrail shouted back and fired off a couple of wild shots without looking. The standoff continued for what seemed forever, though it may have only been ten or fifteen minutes. Daylight was fading. The sound of multiple motorcycles grew amid the background of honking and distant sirens. From the sounds of the engines, Martin guessed that there were three motorcycles, maybe four. They whined down the off-ramp, stopping several dozen yards from the pinned man. The riders hopped over the guardrail and let fly a few quick shots in what Martin guessed must have been Leo and David's direction. The Big 45 answered back, with loud clangs on the steel rail. A long section of guardrail was missing. The week before, a tractor-trailer swerved and rolled its load of precast onto its side. It took 40 or more feet of guardrail with it. A few orange cones and some yellow tape marked the site where repairs were supposed to begin. The motorcycle riders were trying to make their way past the gap in the guardrail to get to their pinned cohort. They tried to charge with a volley of covering fire. Pop, 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 pop. Boom! One of the newcomers yelped when a spray of gravel from a near miss raked his legs. They scrambled back to cover behind the bent end of the far guardrail. Leo's field of fire was too close for their comfort. Pointing in different directions, they didn't seem to really know where Leo and David were. The stranded thief yelled to his friends. They yelled back. Did they want him to climb the fence behind the guardrail? The lower ground behind the fence would give him some cover if he could get over the fence the pinned man shook his head. He either didn't want to or couldn't. Perhaps he was injured. One of the newcomers threw a bundle to the trapped thief. Spare magazines? One of the other cohorts, Crouch ran back the way he came to higher ground. He ran from the guardrail to the chain-link fence. Martin felt a sudden rush of fear and worry. He could guess what his plan was. The reservoir side of the fence was lower than the roadway, The embankment would give him cover to reach his pinned friend. Or maybe he planned to work his way up to the ridge and neutralize the threat with flanking fire on Leo. What if this gunfight started to spill out into the woods? He and Susan might end up in the line of fire, or worse, a crossfire. With the reservoir behind them, there was no escape route. Martin's mind was quickly assessing the trees along the ridge, the crook's likely path his possible line of sight to the rock Susan was hiding behind. Martin would not be able to get back to Susan unseen if the crook came over the fence and started into the woods. Would Susan stay down? He hoped so. What if she mistook the approaching crook for him? He could not see her from his low position, so he had no way to gesture to her to stay down. A million possibilities raced through his mind. He didn't like any of them. The crook pointed to the ridge, then to the fence. He looked over his shoulder, stuffed the pistol in the back of his pants, and grabbed the top of the fence. He hiked his belly up to the top pipe. He was trying to kick a baggy pant leg over. Martin's heart stopped. Trouble was coming their way. Pow! Leaf bits sprinkled down around the man. He tried more urgently to swing his leg over the pipe. Pow! Ting! A shot rang off the fence pipe. The crook dropped down and shouted what must have been profanities. Apparently, the fence was high enough that it exposed the climber to Leo's .45. The fence climber argued with his buddies. After some animated arm gestures, one of them scrambled back north along the guardrail. The trapped man held his gun over the rail and fired a couple of wild shots as covering fire. The scrambler vaulted the guardrail and dashed out amongst the stopped cars. Heads peeking out of the windows of the parked cars all ducked down. Perhaps he was going to try his flanking move from the median side. Maybe he was going for more reinforcements. Neither bode well for the bystanders. But Martin was relieved that he had gone the other way. The crooks yelled back and forth to each other. BAM! CLANG! BAM! THWACK! Leo silenced their yelling with some well-placed shots on the guardrail and a post. While the crooks were busy behind their cover, Martin took that opportunity to make his way back up to Susan at the rocks. Keeping a tree between himself and the thieves, he hoped their attention was more focused on the highway than the darkening woods behind them. The daylight was getting dim, but Martin could still make out the black silhouette of the big rocks against the fragments of dull slate sky that peeked through the leaves. Oh, my God, you're okay, Susan grabbed him in a sudden hug. Since both were kneeling, it was awkward and unstable. Oh, my God, there's so much shooting. I thought you got shot. I didn't know what to do. Oh, my God, you're okay. For a few long moments, Martin was a deer in the headlights. His mind had been so full of bad guys, movement options, and sight lines. A sudden hug was unexpected. He waited for her to let go. But she didn't. These things happen, he reassured himself. Sometimes women go all huggy when they're frightened. It's normal, he told himself. He knew that Margaret would not be happy at all if she saw this. It doesn't mean anything, he told himself, as if he were telling Margaret. She's just scared. He decided that he should disengage from the hug. He started to pull back. Susan's hair smelled faintly of vanilla and some sort of oil. Her neck and shoulder were warm, too. The fact that he even noticed these things unsettled him. The warmth did make him realize how cool the evening air had become. Martin cleared his throat, pulled down her arms, and faced her. Um, yeah, I'm okay, but I have some bad news. We can't get past them like I had hoped. The fight moved up the road instead of down. Now the bad guys are pinned down behind a guardrail right where we have to go. "'Susan continued in a half-whisper. "'I was just sure you had gotten shot. "'I didn't know what to do. "'I was going to go look for you, but they kept shooting. "'I screamed. "'I know I did. "'I'm sorry. "'I couldn't help it. "'I'm just so glad you're okay. "'Thanks, thanks, but I was being careful. "'As I said, we've got a problem. "'I think it must be Leo and David that's got the bad guys pinned down, "'but they're pinned down right where we need to go.' There might be somebody else helping Leo. Sounded like there was something besides their 245 shooting back at them. No way to know. Anyhow, one of the bad guys went and got help. But one of them is still trapped and can't get out. I counted three, maybe four bad guys down there now. The thieves are up to something. I just don't know what. Could be they're trying to flank Leo and whoever. Could be they're going for more help. Neither's good news for us. "'Well, then what do we do? What if they come down here?' she asked, with a gasp of horror. "'They could start shooting down here!' Martin had thought about that very prospect on his way back, but Susan was getting upset, and needed reassurance, not his own worst-case imaginings. "'It's possible,' he whispered back. He decided not to mention the almost-fence-climber. "'But I figure if they do, they'll be moving up along the ridge, up over there, where they can still see. Maybe trying to get a shot down on a highway. Coming down here into the dark brush doesn't seem likely. But as long as they're still shooting at each other, there could be stray bullets flying around. I think our best course is to stay behind these big rocks and wait. There was just enough twilight to see the worry lines fade from Susan's face. A wry little smile grew. He realized what he had said. I know, I know, said Martin. But this time, waiting is different. It's a safety thing. If it quiets down soon, we can try to get past them and keep going up to Woburn. He was surprised how much her little smile lifted his own spirits. And what if it doesn't settle down soon? Her smile was gone. Well, it has to, eventually. I mean, infinite ammunition only happens in the movies and bad novels. For right now, though, it's getting cold. We're not active in generating any body heat, no telling how long we'll have to wait. We better put on a few more layers so we don't get too chilled. He clicked on his little red beam flashlight. I've got a sweater in my pack, gloves, and a stocking cap. Here, use my little light to pull out your sweater and gloves. The red light will be easier on your eyes and won't carry far. I'll go cut off some pine branches for us to use this screening and to sit on. Martin got out his multi-tool and flipped out the little saw blade. Crouching beside a young pine, he sawed at a lower branch, seemingly with no effect. you stupid little pretend saw. I could have chewed my way through with my teeth by now if... The young branch broke off. Okay, maybe it wasn't totally worthless, but still, next time I'm packing a real saw. He cut several more branches and drugged them back. Pop, pop, bam, pop. Susan flinched with each report, but she did not scream. They're still at it, Martin said softly, trying to sound matter-of-fact. Wonder if they tried flanking Leo, or or what? Part of me wants to know. All of me doesn't want to know, she whispered back. No, I suppose not. Best just to lay low and keep out of it. But that means staying here for who knows how long, and it's getting cold. Weather's been nice for mid-October, but still, they're calling for low forties tonight. Martin ran his hand over the leaf litter beside him. The leaves were already getting clammy with dew. We'll lose a lot of body heat sitting on the ground. Here, quietly scrape up a pile of leaves to sit on, and then put these pine branches on top. It'll help insulate your... uh, insulate you. And we shouldn't lean against these rocks, either. They'll pull body heat out of us, too. They gently pulled leaves into a pile and sat on them. Sometimes a burst of yelling would rise up louder in the background medley of distant honking and sirens. Susan carefully sat atop her pile of leaves. She pulled her knees up under her coat and folded her arms over them. She pulled her head down into the tall coat collar. I just can't believe what a whacked-out day this has been, she whispered to herself. A totally whacked-out day. The woods were becoming a featureless mass of darkness, with irregular patches of deep blue sky overhead. The far side of the reservoir would normally be sparkling with streetlights and house lights as night fell. Now, it resembled a lake in the far north of Maine. Around the side of the boulder, Martin could see a few tree trunks, leaves, and the ridge as black silhouettes against the glow from the car lights below. A few shouts were still followed by a pop or two and then more shouts. Geez, Martin thought. I'd read that gun battles are usually over in seconds or a couple of minutes. This just keeps dragging on and on. I wonder if those guys know they're doing it wrong. They need to read more expert gun blogs. Then again, if both sides were well entrenched and had lots of ammo, this might be more like trench warfare in World War I than it was the OK Corral. If that's the case, this could go on all night. Martin leaned over to whisper to Susan. I wonder when they'll run out of ammo. She jumped slightly. What? You, you fell asleep? Oh, I must have. Weird, huh? I'm scared, but I'm so tired, too. Can we rest a little longer? Maybe a half hour? I'll be good to go after that. Yeah, that's a good idea. You just rest a while. They're still going at it down there anyhow, so we might as well rest up. He realized that even when the gunfight is over, it would still not be safe to walk past the highway for a while. The woods were so dark, they would have to use a flashlight to walk. He could use his little red light, but even that would eventually become visible from the highway. A random flashlight could easily spook a jittery thief or a Walsh brother. No, the fight had to be completely over before it was safe to move. If we're going to be here a while, we'd better wrap up in one of these. "'What's this?' "'One of those little mylar reflective blanket things. "'It'll keep your body heat in while we wait, "'especially if you fall asleep again. "'It'll keep the dampness off as well. "'Pull it up over your head, too, like a hood. "'But what about you?' "'I've got two. They're small.' "'Martin winced at all the crinkling sounds "'the cold stiffened mylar made as they wrapped themselves. "'He had them stop periodically to listen.' The background of honking, sirens, and periodic clamor from the highway were easily enough noise to overpower any crinkling noises they were making. Off his feet and bundled up, Martin noticed how heavy his arms and legs felt. His feet ached, his shins ached. He welcomed the prospect of a bit of rest himself. He extended the little knife blade out of his multi-tool and folded the handles back to make a fat grip. It was a laughably puny weapon, a knife at a gunfight and a small knife at that. But it felt better to have something clutched in his fist than nothing. A flickering orange glow mingled in with the headlight glow. Whiffs of burning plastic or rubber drifted through the woods. Martin thought he heard a couple of shots, but they were much fainter, more like echoes. The background of distant honking and sirens became a rhythmic pattern, like summer cicadas. He could hear Susan's slow, deep breathing in the quieter spells. Poor thing, must be totally exhausted. The shouting seemed farther away. Maybe the fight has moved, but which way? If they moved south, maybe the thieves are gone from the guardrail. If so, we could press on north after our rest. Susan gradually slumped over, leaning her shoulder against his back. She was fast asleep. I guess she is more tired than she is scared, Martin thought. Martin was exhausted too. Still, bundled up, felt very good. He wondered how Margaret was handling things at home. He drew some comfort from knowing that she was, most likely, just fine. She would have had the house in power outage mode long before dark. He imagined her grumbling as she lugged the generator up to the deck because he had not gotten around to putting wheels on it like she asked him to. She would have a toasty fire going in the wood stove, and probably heating up some of her frozen soup on it for supper. Martin shook off that line of thought, though. It only made him feel colder and hungrier. Instead, he pondered their next move after their half-hour of rest was done. If the battle had moved south, he and Susan could resume their traveling north. But if the fight had migrated north, it would still block their way. He rested his eyes and tried to concentrate on the sound clues as to which way the trouble was moving. He could feel the slow and steady rise of Susan's breathing against his back.